Morning, everybody. Okay, so I'm currently reading through a book called Logical Answers to Life's Toughest Questions. That's quite a claim, huh? When I first saw the title, I thought, okay, good luck, sir. Good luck, sir, whoever you are. But as I've been reading through it, it's been posing these questions to me which say, but if I do ever know logical answers to all of life's toughest questions, would it actually help me to know God more? Would it actually help me to have a relationship with Jesus more? And the answer is no. The two are two separate things. So it started me thinking. But before I I go into it, let me just tell you how I came to this book. So after two hectic years of retirement, I I decided that I'd have to take my hobby and just crank it up another notch. So in about two weeks' time, you'll be seeing a new website bursting into life called Classical Guitar SA. And I'm importing a range of uh, high-level classical guitars for the, for the guys like me who can't find good ones in this country and getting all excited about it and so on. But as part of my research, I was looking on the internet and I found a man in his 70s, just, well, I'm now in my 70th year, living in California, and he was selling the identical brand of guitar from the identical workshop overseas. And he was selling exactly the same way that I want to do on this particular site. So I emailed him and I said, look, I'm no competition to you. I'm just looking at the South African guys. So let's share some stories. What is this workshop like? How long have you worked with them? Are they really good? And and what's the quality of their product and all that sort of thing? And he wrote back and said, I've been reading up on you. And I can see you're a theologian. But I have to tell you, I'm also a theologian, he said. And I've written this book called Logical Answers to Life's deepest questions. So I thought, okay, let me read it. Now, I don't know if I'll go back to him. I might. If I do, it'll be, may I suggest you read another book? It's called Truth is the Word. But uh, (laughs) if I have the chutzpah of doing that. But in the meanwhile, what it's done for me is it's triggered something I've been passionate about and burdened for, for for decades. And I've called the sermon today, Knowledge Versus Knowing. Because I think it's a huge, huge problem in the body of Christ. This book, for me as I read it, is the epitome of the problem. This belief that if you know enough, you will know God. And it's just simply not true. That it's all in the mind, it's all a matter of logic, and it's simply not true. And so I want to deal with that as best I can this morning. I preached in 2006 about this out of the book of Ephesians. And last month I touched on it a little bit in the sermon called Hearing God. Today I want to unpack it a bit more. The text I want to preach from is 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Kevin and others will be relieved that it's not a psalm again today. So it's 1 John 1 verses 1 through 4. Read it with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your and our joy complete. Now, in the original language, by the way, these four verses are kind of just like breathed out in one 
one marvelous breath. You can almost hear his excitement. You can hear his passion. He's saying, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. I walked with him. This is John the Apostle. This is the one who lent his head on Jesus' shoulder, who walked with him for three years. And he said, I have to declare this Jesus to you, for he is life. And you, you can't not get his excitement and his passion as you, as you read through that. Look, John was a fisherman, or his father owned a fishing fleet or whatever it was, but I very much doubt if John had logical answers to all the tough questions of life, right? But he knew Jesus. And therefore, he knew the answer to all of life's questions. In verses 1 and 2, he talks about hearing, seeing, touching. And as I read those, I have a little voice which comes into my head. It says something like this. It says, oh, if only Jesus was here now like he was with John, then I'd be able to know him like John knew him. And no matter, as soon as that thought's in my mind, I hear another voice, a little stern, saying, what, you selfish man? Who, me? Yes, you selfish man. If I was with you now, as I was with John, how many people do you think would be able to relate to me? You and 11 others, maybe? Okay, forget about you. 12 others. Ah, okay, Lord. I start to get it. Listen to what Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, verse 7. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. And Jesus said a bit later in John's gospel, Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet believe. Now, Paul, he writes about you know, most of the New Testament, right? Paul talks about knowing Jesus. I mean, he talks profoundly and powerfully about knowing Jesus. He says words like, I know who I believed. He knew Jesus, but did you know he never met him in the flesh? Never. He had spiritual experiences. He was transported into the third heaven. He had encounters, but he never met Jesus in the flesh. Maybe when he was a youngster, he might have held somebody's coat as they were busy trying to stone Stephen or something like that, but that's not even known. He didn't know Jesus. Yet he said, I know him deeply and profoundly. The Holy Spirit, one of his greatest ministries in the world today, is that he comes and he opens up a relationship between millions of people and the living Lord Jesus. So that no matter who we are, what our race is, what our gender, wherever we are, in this world, we can come into a living, knowing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he does this first by regenerating the human spirit. Okay, now I don't know what your theology is in the past. If you've been coming to this church, then hopefully I know something of your theology. Hopefully. But when we are born into this world, when we come into this world, we take our first breaths as babies... We are spiritually separated from God. Human beings are not connected with God naturally. We have to be born again of the Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, the theologian of all Israel, He said, Nicodemus, unless you are born again of the Spirit, born again from above, you cannot even comprehend the things 
And later he said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does to to any person who repents of their religious self-centered mindset, who says, oh God, I realize I'm cut off from you. Please, please give me a new start. Asks for the new birth of the Spirit. Receives in faith. Testifies with joy. And walks out into a new Christian life with Him. For every one of those, He connects us with Jesus. And we now have a living touching, feeling, hearing relationship. John calls this relationship koinonia here in 1 John. Uh, Translated really as communion or a shared common life. We have this shared common life. You see, it's spirit to spirit, shared common spiritual life with the triune Godhead. It's a a cruciform life. It's a cross-shaped life. We have a relationship with God in Christ Jesus and we have a relationship with each other because of the fact that we're all then in Christ Jesus. All who believe, all who are born again of the Spirit. So it's both vertical and horizontal. But here's the thing that we have to grasp. It's a spiritually based relationship. It's not of the mind. The things of the mind follow, you know. And some questions we get to answer, some we never do in this lifetime. And we, we learn a bit during this lifetime, and we hopefully do good stuff. But the source of it is from inside out. We are born again of the Spirit, and that's what forges this relationship. It does not originate in the mind. And this is where so many people, so many millions of people who come to churches every Sunday have a huge, huge problem. They actually do think it's all in the mind. I think it's all about just thinking right, making decisions of the will, following rules, and doing good stuff. But it isn't. Here's where I think the problem lies. God is a triune being. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one in essence, purpose, and will. He's three, yet one. And he has created humanity to be in his image and likeness. Now that doesn't mean we look like God. I'm very glad about that. It means we are made of a tripartite nature the same way as God is. He's created us in his image. So we have bodies that's easy enough to relate to. And we have minds, which we refer to as soul often. I'm going to call it mind this morning. And that we can relate to, we can understand that. But there's a third component, element, dimension of the human being, which is his spiritual existence. And it's not the same as the mind. It's different. And it's dead until the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates it in every human being in the name of Jesus, everyone who calls out. Since the days of the Renaissance onwards, this difference between soul, mind, and spirit has become increasingly blurred until in today's world it has almost disappeared. And many of our theologians don't make life easier for us. Because what they do is they tend to teach, many theologians today are teaching, no, 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 man is not of three, he is just of two. You have an immaterial part and you have a physical part. So what's the immaterial part? Well, it's the mind. 
or it's the deep subconscious. This distinction between spirit and mind has become so blurred that it's permeated even the conservative theology of our day. They go further. They say, well, you see, look, if you look in Scripture, you'll see that the word used for soul and the word used for spirit are the same. They're used interchangeably. Therefore, there's no difference between soul, mind, and spirit. Nonsense, I say. I can think of a lot of Greek words which have dual meanings. It's a very expressive language. It doesn't prove a darn thing. And the minute we abandon this idea, this, this truth, that there's something more fundamental in the human being than just thinking and then breathing and eating and reproducing, then we lose the most important thing of all. And we have no basis for a relationship with God. For the relationship is spirit to spirit, inside out. And that changes our thinking. And that changes our doing and our speaking. Tell me, if we believe this, this idea that spirit and mind are just the same euphemisms for each other, how do we get saved? How do we get saved? Tell me, brother, how must I be saved? Well, then my answer, if I believe that, would be, well, you've just got to think right. Enjoy the church, read the Bible, study a lot. Make a commitment of your will. We call it the Christian commitment. Commit yourself to trying to do good, live good, and be good. And study a lot. Because the more you get, the more you can be convinced that you're saved. And tell me, how do I get sanctified? How do I grow to be more like Jesus? Well, just attend more Bible studies, see? Or prayer meetings. Or church services. Or read books like Logical Answers to Life's Toughest Questions. And then you'll become more like Jesus. Rubbish. It's just not true. It's a death giving lie. Perhaps I should just think positively if I want to be saved. Perhaps I've just got to speak the right words out there. Like I'm exercising this faith muscle. You heard that, huh? You know, as if the spiritual life was like a giant game of Sudoku. I've just got to get the numbers in the right order. Or some kind of a spiritual bodybuilding. Or maybe I can revert to the old Jewish idea in the Old Testament that if I will just observe the laws of God meticulously enough, then I will be saved and I'll become like Jesus. Nonsense. That isn't how it is. And much of today's preaching across the world reinforces this strange notion. On the one side, we have these feel-good sermons. Man, TV is just replete with feel-good sermons. Just feel good with your, about yourself, my brother, my sister. Just have a relationship with yourself. What? I can't have a relationship with myself. I am myself. I can have a relationship with God and other people. Or they say, no, you see, what you've got to do, and then you come, comes this moralistic, do better sermon. You know, what you guys could do, you could do better. I expect to see you all here next Sunday. If you're not... Big note, negative points, salvation is doubtful. But we'll let you know. Is it any wonder that if we believe this lie that Christianity is actually a, a mental thing, a thing of the mind, that so many people are born into Christian-type homes 
And they grow up and they get um, confirmed or get christened as a baby and then confirmed. And they say, that's it. And they start attending church sometimes and sometimes read the Bible, although for them it's normally very boring. Maybe pray a bit when times are tough. And inside there's this deep sense of something missing. You know why? Because something is missing. The most fundamental thing of all. A spiritual relationship with the living God in and through Christ Jesus. It has to start with a recreative miracle. I want to say that again. To be born again, as Jesus explained it, is a recreative miracle of the Spirit. It's not something we just grow into and one day we kind of say, I must be saved. It's as real and powerful and dramatic as a new baby coming into the world. By the way, Xavier and Tash had an, a little son during the week. And that was a dramatic moment for that family, right? To be born again of the Spirit is just as real, just as life-transforming and changing. We can't just change over a period of time like we have the spiritual evolution. I have a very modest Volvo that I park in my garage. I know you think it looks like a Batmobile, but it's a very modest model. And it sits in my garage. But no matter how many times I open the garage doors and look at it, it hasn't turned into a Maserati. It just hasn't. It will remain a Volvo until, and I won't do this, I've promised my wife an 8 o'clock service, until I take the Volvo out and put a Maserati in there. I'll stick with guitars. We need to be born again. It's a metaphysical, life-transforming, fundamental shift and change in the very being of who we are. And nothing else will suffice. Consider briefly the deadly results of a wrong understanding of this. And please, I realize that I might be treading on some spiritual corns this morning. I'm not sorry. But don't hate me. I actually am not feeling judgmental at all about this issue, for I lived it for 30 years. I feel a deep empathy and a compassion. But it's important that we understand, all of us, the truth. Firstly, these are the results. Such people have no experience of the rebirth. To talk about being born again is a bit of a mystery. You will say, when were you born again? They say, I've always been a Christian. Say what? No, I was brought up in a Christian home. Great. When were you born again? Oh, uh, um, uh, 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 uh. it's a mystery. I've experienced it. It's a strange concept. But you know, for such people, there is no spirit-to-spirit -spirit relationship with God, honestly. There's no spirit-to-spirit -spirit relationship. You open the Bible, and you can read it well enough, and you can study it well enough, and even memorize it, but it never comes alive to you. You don't have those moments of saying, oh, God is communicating. He's actually speaking to me through this. It just doesn't happen because it's spirit to spirit that those things happen, not mind to mind. Pray often enough, and most of the time your prayers seem like they're bouncing off some kind of celestial ceiling. I'm sure God must be hearing somewhere, but I sure don't feel it, know it, sense it, or realize it. And church services, are they okay? Singing was great, 
Message, but dodgy. Fellowship, fantastic. Did you sense the presence of God? Well, I felt a few thrills. Did you sense the presence of God? Well, not really, no. Because there's no spirit-to-spirit relationship. And in fact, to speak about a spiritual relationship is a very strange and confusing thing for those folk. What do you mean relationship? How can I have a relationship with somebody who died 2,000 years ago? I might as well speak to the Easter Bunny. What do you mean relationship? And so such folks reinterpret the word relationship. They put their own definition on it. And when you say Christianity is a relationship, you know what they hear? They hear, oh yeah, it's about peace within. It's about being in harmony with other people. And it's about knowing the answers to life's tough questions. It's just an intellectual pseudo-faith that. I have no other way of, of naming it. That for me is what it is. And you know, it's deadly. There's no life in it. And the end of it is death. I want to read to you two things that Jesus said. So you can hear it from the Master's mouth. And I want you to think about what he said and ask the question, why on earth would Jesus, loving Lord Jesus, God incarnate, why would he say such things? They are so hard. Listen to them. First one is in Luke 13, verses 24 to 27. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. And then you will say, But we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets, church. But he will reply, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. Why would he say that? That seems so hard. Listen to what he says to the more charismatic among us. Matthew seven twenty two and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's only one reason why Jesus, God incarnate, would say things like that. It's because they are fundamentally important. And he wanted them to know, and he wants us to know, guys, it's all about knowing me. And if you don't know me and I don't know you, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Eating at my table, knocking on my door, performing miracles in my name, it's all nothing if you and I do not have a spirit-to-spirit relationship. That's why he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Nicodemus, you cannot even relate, conceive, perceive of the things of the kingdom unless you are born again of the Spirit. Now think for a moment in closing what this mind-based Christianity does to the gospel to the church, and to our spiritual lives. What is the gospel of salvation? Well, it's just then a call to commitment. Just stand up and make this commitment. Commitment to do better, 
live better, read more, think better, and attend more. That's what the gospel becomes, just a commitment of the mind. Think of what sanctification becomes. That is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. Well, sanctification just becomes uh, Bible study programs, courses, social upliftment programs. And these all become a substitute for knowing Jesus. Look, if we are born again of the Spirit, then these things will flow. We will have a hunger for the Word of God. We'll want to study His Word. We'll want to know Him through what He's revealed to us. And we'll want to do good. We will. We'll do that. It flows out from within. But they cannot be substitutes. Hang every religious system I know, every, every charitable organization, NGO in the country that I know of operates on this basis. Just do good. And you'll be acceptable to God and to man. What does it do for eternal life? If we believe this lie, eternal life really just becomes redefined as a state of mind. Just a way of being at peace with God and each other. And when the moment of death comes, well, I don't know, brother, I don't know, sister, I think I suppose I'll just still be at peace with a God I don't know. If I've been pushing some buttons as I've been speaking to you this morning, I really do hope I have because I think it's such a such important issue. I believe that churches throughout the world contain millions of folk. And here's the irony. They don't know God because they've never been given the knowledge of this. Isn't it ironic? Nobody's actually said to them. I, I grew up in church. I grew up until the age of 13 when I, they wanted to confirm me and I bailed out and I said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I was a snotty little so-and-so. Still am. I lived right through to the age of 30, living that lie. Nobody told me. I'd never heard the plain and simple truth. You must be born again. How does it happen, Chris? I repent of my self-centered religiosity, my knowledge-based religion, my works-based religion. And I cry out for mercy and say, Oh God, give me a new start, please, in Jesus' name. Jesus, you died so that this could happen. Holy Spirit, this is your grandest work. Come and perform it in me. That my spirit can come alive. And then I do make a commitment. I say, and Lord, I will serve you as best I can by the power of your spirit. For I am now in communion with you. Take your hand. And together we'll walk through this life and beyond. I want to ask you to please ask yourself about your testimony this morning. What is your testimony? Now, do you know what I mean by testimony? Somebody comes to you and says, so tell me, uh, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah. So tell me, uh, how come? What will you tell them? Will you tell them, well, I go to church? Will you tell them, well, I've got a BTH? That's Bachelor of Theology, in case you get confused by that. Will you tell them, I do good stuff? Will you tell them, yeah, I'm born again of the Spirit of God. I am in koinonia relationship with God and His people. And in trust, holding His hand and empowered by His Spirit, I walk through this life in dependence upon Him, depending on Him for the next as well. What's your testimony? 
when people ask you that question. Or is your testimony, are you a Christian? Yes, I was born into a Christian family, you know. Really? Yes, I was christened. Just a baby. 13 years old? They confirmed me. Is that your testimony? Please think about it. Please, I beg you, think about this. For it is the all-important question of life. Jesus needs to know you. And you need to know him. And the only way for that to happen is spirit to spirit. And it starts with the rebirth of the spirit. And it continues through the ongoing work of the spirit as he transforms us from within into the likeness of Jesus. And it continues for eternity. We can have a time of worship. But I ask you a final question. What are you going to do with this knowledge I've given you today? What are you going to do? Please don't meet me afterwards over tea and say it was very, very nice. <laughs> Tell me you hate me is okay. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to really answer that question? And if your answer comes out wanting, you say, I know this ain't right, then are you going to come, and come up to the front? Allow people to pray with you? Allow people to actually minister salvation to you? And the power of the Spirit to you? I was having this discussion with Mark before the beginning of the first service. And he was saying, you know, there's something special about a call to come for ministry because it causes you to actually take an action. It's so easy just to sit there and say, yeah, well, I'm just processing that, you know. But a call to action actually says, I believe it. And it's not a long journey. This is not a long journey. And there are such loving elders. Carlos and the other guys will just love to be able to pray with you. Help you through this tremendous transition of life. So be it. Amen.